0: Welcome to Committed Conversations with Kate and Sam. This podcast is supported by BYU Studies, Brigham Young University's premier academic journal. The Church History Department, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, co sponsors the podcast. Dr. Kate Holbrook, Academic Collaborations Director at the Church History Department, is an expert in Latter day Saint women's history. Her husband, Dr. Sam Brown, is a research physician with a longtime interest in publications in church history. On Committed Conversations, they will explore together key texts and topics in church history. Listen in. Welcome to Committed Conversations with Kate and Sam. I am Kate Holbrook.
1: And I'm Sam Brown.
0: And today we are talking about the second meeting of the Female Relief Society of Nauvoo for our own second podcast episode. This meeting took place a week after the first On March 24th, 1842, it took place on the second floor of the Red Brick Store, which was there on the banks of the Mississippi River. And uh, the Minutes mentioned that it was in the Lodge Room, which is probably said because the Masons were meeting there as well. And the idea that it was a Masonic Lodge was uh, behind calling it the Lodge Room. They start the meeting with a hymn. Sam, you have the book. Remind me what the name of the hymn was. Yeah, it's
1: How Pleased and Blessed Was I, which was one of Isaac Watts' famous hymns.
0: And it's a it's a good moment to remember that in 1835 Emma published the first hymnal for the church. And then in 1841, so just a year or so before this meeting, she had published a new updated version of the hymnal. And she'd put it together.
1: Yeah, it seems reasonable to think they were using Emma's hymnal to sing the song to open. Yeah.
0: And and Sam checked and this song was in the the hymnal. Nice to think of what what that contributed to the atmosphere of Relief Society and women's potential to to help shape the church and contribute to the worship. The first meeting had twenty people and this at this second meeting an Fifty people who have not yet been members of Relief Society show up and want to be members of Relief Society. So, in the past week, word has really spread. Sounds like it went
1: viral. (laughs) That's what it did without social media.
0: This This is the cool place for female church members to be. And so, one of the first things they say is that it's moved, seconded, and unanimously carried that the following persons be received. Now, that particular language is Robert's Rules of Order uh, or Parliamentary Procedure that we talked a little bit about last time. And Sam, you noted something I thought was interesting about the fact that they're using Robert's Rules of Order.
1: Oh, it, it, it just feels like even in your poverty, putting on your Sunday best to go do something important. It's them trying to say that even though they got nothing and they're living out on the frontier and they're, battling for their lives with the malarial mosquitoes and the swamps and the anti-Mormons trying to arrest them or shoot them or rape them, that they still thought that the right way to go about it is to do it in an organized and orderly way, using parliamentary procedure as they're trying to develop the First Relief Society.
0: And and church members in their meetings, church leaders continued to use parliamentary procedure for quite some time there's a vestige of it in my own family we all share some cabins and at our annual meeting we follow parliamentary <laughs> procedure cuz those uh, people who first those ancestors who first bought the land they were church members in early utah
1: you know i've in the last couple of years now as i'm a middle-aged research scientist i've been Privilege to be able to try to help shape some of the important trials that we're doing. And I've noticed when I'm doing these committee calls that, to
0: find trials.
1: Oh, uh, trials are, um, are basically, uh, ways that we try to figure out whether a drug works for a given, uh, to, to treat a given disease. So fundamentally it's a, it's basically an experiment, but you've got good evidence that it is a, promising agent so you basically you give half of patients the active medication and half of patients uh what's called a placebo uh, but the trial is how you figure out whether medicines work and then can go into routine use so i've been working on covid and trying to find and test treatments for covid and as i've been running these international committee calls i've realized that it does help to be able to just pause and say do we have a motion do we have a second uh how, how how will we approve this it, it helps to give a little bit of order to the potential chaos of a lot of different people coming together to try to do something in a united manner even though they don't really fundamentally agree with each other on everything everybody has their own opinions so it's, it's a kind of way to formally come together to get something done
0: it made sense for them to use it it's a good idea
1: I'll have to remember next time. I'm in. A, I probably won't say it out loud, but next time I'm in a committee meeting, I'll have to remember that this I'm I'm following our foremothers and the use of parliamentary procedure. <laughs> I
0: wanted to quote one of the new people who showed up. Her name was Valate Kimball. She was married to Heber C. Kimball. Those two had joined the church about ten years earlier. Valate had been in Cartland, had sewn clothing for the temple workers there, and had also. Um, helped to sew some veils for the house of the Lord. So sometimes it's simpler to call the Kirtland temple, the house of the Lord, because it's, it's a little bit different than a temple. And what they did there was a little bit different than um, what, what developed as our temple ceremony. So the says she had not fully understood what were the objects of the institution, but desired to be found aiding in every benevolent cause. Mm -hmm. I, I suspect she wasn't the only one who felt that way. We don't really know how this is going to work or what this is about, but it's good, and I want to be where good works are are done. Loved that um, from her.
1: There are worse motivations for doing something, for sure.
0: So uh, Emma reads the minutes from the first meeting, and they approve those, and then she shares a report of a young woman named Clarissa Marble. Clarissa was accused of scandalous falsehoods on the character of President Joseph Smith. And Emma says she is praying that they would in wisdom adopt some plan to bring Clarissa to repentance. Said she presumed that most of the society knew more about Clarissa Marvel than she herself did. And then Mrs. Agnes Smith says that Clarissa Marvel had lived with her nearly a year and she had seen nothing amiss of her. Mrs. Agnes Smith is Agnes Coolbrook. Smith, and she had been married to Joseph Smith's brother, Don Carlos, until he died. So as a widow, she had taken this young woman in to live with her. Sister Whitney, who is one of the counselors in the presidency, proposes that someone goes and works with Clarissa Marble uh, to help her see the error of her ways, and it says, if possible, reform her, and they ask a sister, Markham, to do this work, Sister Markham does not want to. Hmm. (laughs) She declines, and then Emma asks, President Emma Smith asks her to do it anyway.
1: And so is that everything we know about Clarissa Marvel?
0: They leave us hanging. They leave us knowing that somebody's going to go visit her and and find out, but we we never find out very much information about her. Uh, Now, plural marriage is the important background to this otherwise little bit... Baffling conversation. Uh, By now, Joseph Smith has been married to eight or nine women. The first marriage hadn't lasted, but here in Nauvoo, he is trying again to follow that inspiration he had received and to make plural marriage work. In 1841, so the previous year, he had married three women, and during this first quarter of 1842, he'd married four additional women. And six of the women that he'd been married to, including Emma, were at this meeting. So this is both a time when he is really trying to implement this, figure it out, fulfill the commandment, and uh, the women that have been married to him are many of the leaders, the female leaders um, in Nauvoo. Let's talk at this point about how there are several reasons for plural marriage. Agnes, with whom Clarissa Marvel lived for a year, she shows one of these reasons, uh, which is to take care of people. And because her deceased husband had been Joseph Smith's brother, Joseph Smith married her in, in a kind of leveret marriage, which is what we call them in the Old Testament, where if your brother dies, then you marry his widow to take care of her to make sure she's not left destitute. And uh, this appears to be a a reason that Joseph Smith would have married Agnes Coolbreth Smith. Another reason uh, for plural marriage was to produce a righteous seed. The Abrahamic covenant is very central and and already was at this period to Latter-day Saint doctrine and practice. God promises Abraham several things, and one of the things he promises Him is seed as numerous as the sands of the earth. So raising up righteous children. That that point about them being righteous is important, and that comes up in the book of Jacob, which is the only place in the Book of Mormon where plural marriage is mentioned. In Jacob chapter 2, verses 24 through 30, Jacob is chastising people who are using David, the examples of David and Solomon from the Old Testament. Uh, to have their own concubines. And Jacob says that, in general, plural marriage is against God's will, unless at a specific time, in a specific place, he says it's all right. And the reason he would do it in that specific time and that specific place was to raise up a righteous seed. And they saw these um, marriages with some of the people who were really willing to sacrifice Everything, including their notions of romantic love and Victorian relationships and, and what it means to be a husband and wife, uh, that, that somebody that committed to the church that they're willing to set all of that aside to engage in this practice that was, was so foreign to them. Um, they, they were people likely to really raise their children in a way that they would be righteous and committed to this, to this new church.
1: And it seems like a lot of people focus on fertility, but sort of miss the point. They get into the biology rather than thinking about the broader community valences of it. Because, like you said, it, it cements a community in a way that the Victorian companion of romantic marriage didn't. Oh. I mean, I think there's a certain element of mystery to this whole phase of the restoration that I, I acknowledge. And you know, I don't know. I mean, I. Totally agree with you, these are key reasons that are present in Scripture, in the church history, and there's an element of not quite knowing exactly why.
0: Definitely. And in, in part, in part that's because they took a vow of secrecy about this, since they were just figuring it out, and they, they had to know people would hate it. Yeah. I mean, even when Joseph Smith would first tell people about it, they would hate it. And then many of them report reconciling themselves to it because of their testimony of him being a prophet, or they would have their own spiritual experiences where God spoke to their heart and their mind and, and told them that it was a, a principle that they were to follow. Um, but if even the most devout took them yep. by surprise and they had to reconcile themselves to it, then all of the people who were not members of the church they they, they knew would would be against them. So, in, in these early days as they were trying to figure it out. They didn't write about it. You know, a couple of people did. We have very few records kept by men uh, about this. And then later, we do have some legal documents, um, interviews with women that were recorded decades later um, of of women saying that they were married to Joseph Smith. But we have very little to go on as, as historians. And even people at the time, because of the secrecy, you know, there were there was a time when two sisters were both married to Joseph Smith and they didn't know it. <laughs> so they, they also didn't have each other to kind of talk with and, and figure it out very well.
1: It was really hard to figure out how you live this ancient practice that's in the Bible and it's part of the story of Abraham himself and, and many of the biblical patriarchs. And how do you live this? ancient principle temporarily and that's what Jacob seems to say it's going to be lived temporarily it's not the permanent in fact it's the exceptional way of living rather than the permanent one and so what do you do you know you're living in the ancient past and it's not as simple as just using funny old English Uh, it's it's living in a way that's threatening to the new culture that you're inhabiting and it's so hard
0: one one final reason for plural marriage um worth mentioning that involves one of the women at this meeting uh was to cement relationships between families sam you've written about this would you like to say something on along these lines
1: yeah, I think we in the 20th and 21st centuries think of sealing as a kind of rubber band that ties us to our biological or legal families. In the early Restoration, sealing was a reference basically to an individual person being marked as belonging to God and comes from the old notion of a seal, like a wax seal on a fancy letter where somebody pushes a signet ring or, or other seal onto a piece of wax and then it closes it, it indicates that it's been, it hasn't been violated and it indicates to whom it belongs. And so for the early church, people would get sealed up to salvation. And then there was a kind of movement from the seal up to salvation to the notion that if you could be sealed to a prominent church authority, that that would make it more likely that you would be sealed up to heaven. And that was called the law of adoption in the 19th century.
0: And say, what do you mean by sealed up to salvation?
1: Well, it meant different things at different points in the early church uh at at some points it meant that you were beyond sin that you were you're good, you're good to go, you're ready for the next life uh at other points, it was more of a promise that still had to be uh that you still had to deliver on and there's some tension moving back and forth in the early restoration around this. And, and if we're honest, it's the same tension that's present in Methodism, which had a similar notion of, uh, of salvation and sanctification, conversion and sanctification, these two levels of, of righteousness, first getting underway and then being mature. So it varied a fair bit, but the basic notion was an assurance that the afterlife would go okay for you. And that was the ceiling.
0: Sealing be- meaning you belong to God.
1: Yeah, you you belong to God, and the the seal will not be broken. That you'll you'll continue to belong to God off into afterlife, and things will go okay. Pretty rapidly, though, and in, in the restoration, it was immediately clear that it doesn't mean anything to go to heaven alone. Heaven alone is hell. I mean, Joseph Smith was actually quite clear about that on multiple occasions. And so, if you're gonna be sealed up to heaven doesn't mean anything if you're not there with people you care about. And so you see this sequence where at first it's the story, am I going to be okay in the afterlife? And then it's very quickly the answer to the question, well, doesn't okay mean I'm with people that I love? And so that's that sense of connection. And then it gets moved from this grandiose law of adoption where people would try really hard to get sealed, for example, to Joseph Smith. And a a lot of early polygamy is people getting sealed to Joseph Smith as part of trying to build these big like royal families of heaven through those connections.
0: And And they continued to seal themselves to Joseph Smith after he was dead.
1: Yeah, in fact, I mean, he by far was the most common person that people would get sealed to. And then in the 1890s, and uh jonathan stapley and i did a couple of essays together in the journal of mormon history maybe 10 or 15 years ago i I lose track because i get middle-aged but i did the early period and he did the late period and so jonathan stapley's essay walks you through in i think it's maybe 1894 1895 and i think it's uh i think it's wilford woodruff uh who then says look you know that it was Important, it was a phase in our growth. It was part of the unveiling of the restoration. It's time now to focus the sealing energy on your legal and biological families rather than trying to connect yourself to Joseph Smith, for example. But it, it's it's part of that long interwoven story of the reality that we're nervous about our salvation. We'd like some assurance that things will go okay. And it doesn't mean anything to be saved alone. And then, it, you know, as the Latter-day Saints and the church leaders find their path with that, uh, and, and I think it's important to recognize that all of those are elements of that rich legacy of sealing.
0: Thank you. I, I hope one, um, one thought that you will carry with you after this conversation is the understanding that to identify one reason for plural marriage is to invite muddled, inaccurate thinking into your life on this topic. There were, you know, this was a commandment, and, and we can identify many reasons why it, um, why each marriage might have been chosen and pursued, uh, but there's not one overall reason. There was a lot going on all of it geared towards establishing, as Sam was saying, a a network of of people that would last beyond this life and facilitate their salvation. And now let's turn to something a little bit easier to uh, think about, which is um, just a mention of something about Emma's character. So even though Clarissa Marvel. May have been telling stories about her husband in the most painful way imaginable. You know, I think maybe she saw that Joseph Smith and Agnes Coulbrith Smith had some sort of interaction. Maybe that's why there were stories. I, I, I don't know. We don't. They don't even know. Um, so I certainly don't know. But um, c- certainly, the the things that one could gossip about if one were angry about Joseph Smith were things that would be deeply painful to Emma. And this is what Emma said at the meeting. She said, "Speaking of Clarissa, she has no parents. She is under our care and observation. She needs friends." What a gracious, loving thing to say about Clarissa! What an attitude to maintain. Um, and and Emma also made clear that they should not gossip about Clarissa or anywhere. Any one, President Smith said, all proceedings that regard difficulties should be kept among the members. As to the institution, its objects are charitable. None can object to telling the good. The evil withhold. So she and, and she hopes that everybody will feel themselves bound to observe this rule. But if you're talking about the work of the organization, please spread it wide. It's they're trying to do good works. But on these occasions where they are talking about a particular situation that could compromise somebody's reputation or hurt them, those things you were not to mention outside of a meeting.
1: In our gossipy age, I think it's hard to not pass on dark or negative news. And I I mean, I think that is not one of the better features of the human condition. I think that's something we really do need to, that's part of what's so wrong with social media, I think, is this fascination and obsession with the ability to spread dirt and anger and vituperation whereas really society says yes bad things happen yes people make mistakes of course we're not going to lie to ourselves about that or pretend that everybody's superhuman it's also true that we all flourish better as we work together to improve and wallowing in in the dirt and the grime doesn't grow us.
0: Oh, so true. So then at the meeting, Lucy Max Smith stands. And you'll remember that Lucy Max Smith is the mother of Joseph Smith. She was often called Mother Smith, not only because she was a mother of 11 children, but also because she was a mother in Israel, which is a title that people aspire to at this time to be a mother in Israel had more of a theological um, connotation there. Joseph Smith Sr., her husband, had died in 1840, so she'd been a widow for a couple of years. She was about 67 at the time of this meeting, and something her son William remembered her uh, about her, he said, my mother, who was a very pious woman and much interested in the welfare of her, her children, both here and her hereafter, made use of every means which her parental love could suggest to get us engaged in seeking for our souls' salvation. I think about uh, mothers across the across the world trying to help their family do come follow me. <laughs> <laughs> I think of close friends that I have, one in particular who's constantly every time she hears a story. Or a scripture or a thought that she thinks might help the spiritual development of one of her children. She writes it down, she plans family home evenings months in advance, not to make any of the rest of us feel bad, but that's just the kind of mother she is and the energy she brings to watching over the spiritual welfare of her family. Um, this description of Lucy Max Smith reminds me of her. That's you, Laura, if you uh, listen to this podcast. According to Lucy Max Smith's account of the May 1831, so over 10 years before this meeting, journey of church members from Fayette, New York to Kirtland, Ohio, the group looked to her as their leader, to be the leader of the group. She led the company in song and prayer. She took charge of the finance, some of the finances. She was in charge of the food and the lodging, and this was for 80 people. This would yeah. have been quite overwhelming. Later, in 1831, she went with her son, Hiram, on a mission to Detroit, and in Kirtland, she raised money to build a school. She's a, just a fascinating, devout woman, and uh, she said something, and when I first heard this quotation, I loved it, and I was a missionary. I was living in an apartment in Saratov, Russia, and there was a separate small room for the toilet. I printed it out and put it on the door. Well, I wrote it out. (laughs) We didn't have computers. And and taped it to the bathroom door because it was long and I wanted to be able to read it and internalize it. And I didn't realize it had come from the Navu Relief Society. I probably knew very little about Lucy McSmith at the time. But here's this quotation that I loved then and love now. She said, we must cherish one another, watch over one another, Comfort one another and gain instruction that we may all sit down in heaven together. So this quotation from Lucy Mac Smith is something that she gave at the meeting we've been talking about on March 24th, 1842. The same meeting where they talk about Clarissa Marvel. Same meeting where Emma Smith expresses her care for uh, everyone taking care of Clarissa Marvel. It's a little bit what... What we've been talking about, the theme we've been talking about throughout this this episode. Caring for one another in multiple ways to help us all sit down in heaven together. And to close this episode, uh, I'd like to end with something that Emma actually said at the beginning of the meeting, but which I think then informed all the contents of the meeting. She says... Measures to promote union in this society must be carefully attended to. So union, she means unity. They're they're always talking about unity. That every member should be held in full fellowship. As a society, she hoped they would divest themselves of every jealousy and evil feeling toward each other, if any such existed. That we should bring our conduct into respectability here and everywhere else. And she said she rejoiced in the prospect before her. Amen, Emma. That's good. That's good advice for all of us in all of the different um, realms in, in which we, situations in which we find ourselves to avoid, to seek unity, avoid jealousy and evil feeling, and bring our conduct into respectability, and then be able to rejoice in in the prospects before us. Thank you for joining us for this second episode of Committed Conversations with Kate and Sam. We've enjoyed the chance to discuss these topics and hope to see you next time.
1: Yeah, and uh, next time I think we're doing the third meeting of the Relief Society. Yep. See you then.